Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. All right, today's review comes from AAHYY because I have no clue how to pronounce that, but he says, one of my top five. Excellent podcast, packed full of riveting information from amazing guests. The host, Boomer Anderson, that's me, does a great job of interviewing and bringing his own knowledge and experience to the conversation. Well, AAHYY, thank you so much for your review. And if it grabs you in a good way, Head on over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave a five-star review and some comments because who knows, I may be reading yours on the air very soon. Like so many of you listening out there, 2020 has turned out a bit different than expected. Take, for example, my guest today. We have a lot of mutual friends, quite a number of common interests. And so I thought it would be natural that we would meet in person at one of these biohacking conferences or just probably in the United States at some point. But alas, 2020 came with a different plan. Travel bans, et cetera, made it more likely that we would meet over this two-hour Zoom marathon podcast. And it was such a joy talking to him. And it was a long time coming. There's a shout out to a couple people that I need to give for the introduction. Uh, Mr. Shaker Pie, you may not want the shout out, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And who is my guest today? Josh Holland is a wealth of experiential knowledge and wisdom. He's a dedicated biohacker, state-of-the-art fitness trainer, holistic health coach, and sports professional. Josh champions the philosophy of awareness through experience and has subsequently spent years consulting with elite professionals. You're going to want to stay tuned to hear who some of those are, perhaps singers of my favorite bands, with the goal of building a vast well in those professionals from which to draw from when evoking alignment of body mind, and spirit. Josh is the co-founder of several fitness and health entities and a global ambassador for a number of companies. Josh currently leads a team of elite trainers and health coaches at System Fit and Flatiron, New York, and he happily serves the greater New York area, including Westchester, Greenwich, the Hamptons, and is available by request for interstate and international consultations and appointments. So what did Josh and I get into today? And again, this is going to be split up into two podcasts because it's two hours long, but we got into so, so much and it was a lot of fun talking to him. We talked about awareness and why that is so important when it comes to movement. We talked about recovery and sleep and we get into just very, very good actionable tips for you to better your sleep starting today, for you to improve your recovery and for you to bring more awareness to your movement. The show notes for this one are going to be at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Josh one. And let's get on with my fantastic conversation with Joshua Holland. Let's talk morning stacks. And when I talk about morning stacks, most of you probably wouldn't think that I would say it starts with decaf coffee, but in my case, it does decaf coffee, MCT oil, cacao. And on top of that, I add something from Kappa Health. I use the cordyceps mushrooms. And these little tinctures, if you will, 
are various ways to upgrade my day. They have one for Rishi. They're coming out with one for Lion's Mane. And they certainly have the Cordyceps, which I just mentioned I throw into my morning brew. So you know it really, really works. Head on over to kappahealth.com. That's K-A-A-P-A health.com. Use the code BOOMER and get your shrooms direct from Finland. Let's get on with the conversation. Josh, I've heard so much about you that I'm finally, I'm just really excited to have this conversation today. So welcome to the show. I appreciate it, Boomer. Nice to, uh, nice to connect with you and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I don't normally look like this with all this, this red hue, but uh, you know, I guess uh, it is what it is right now, right? <laughs> well, I, I was wondering if you're trying to adapt to the fact that I, I live in Amsterdam, but that would be signaling something else. And since you're in your morning right now, it may not be the, the right signal. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so here, we're going to kick things off with that. Uh, Josh, you've spent some time in Europe, and I want to talk a little bit about your background in basketball. What what drew you over to Europe and where did you spend your time? Well, yeah, good question. So, um, you know, my, my, my life has, has many different twists and turns. And one of my first true loves, um, I guess, after martial arts is basketball. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I played basketball at a, at a high level starting from, um, playing in high school. And then I went on to play in college. My wrist broke my knuckles, broke my toes, like multiple toes. Um, I had so many different types of, uh, of, of setbacks that I kind of thought, you know what, maybe my basketball career is over. So um, upon getting work in, in my field in advertising and marketing, um, I did that for a couple of years. I just kind of thought, you know what, I want to, I want to do something more with my life. So I just kind of up and moved to New York. And while in New York, I kind of got started with a modeling and acting career. And the, the only thing that I could kind of think of that would allow me to stay in shape in the meantime, you know, like whenever I wasn't actually working out was to play basketball. Okay. And so I started playing basketball at a, uh, at a, um, a gym, which back then was the Reebok sports club. And I kind of just, I joined a couple of leagues. Some guys asked me to be on their team. And one thing led to another. I started like, I guess in, in, in terms of basketball lang, uh, lingo, we would, we would say I was crushing it. I was killing it, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and a few guys were like, dude, like, did you, you know, where did you go to school? And, and I told them I, I played at a very, very small college in, um, in Oklahoma. Then I went to an even smaller university after that. And, um, what university? And they were like, well, so I, the junior college I went to is called Rose State College. Mm -hmm. I went there for, for a couple of years. And then I went to Northwestern Oklahoma State University, okay. a very small school. And, um, and, you know, they were kind of like, dude, you should have been playing like, you know, overseas at least, or, you know, in the D League, which is now called the G League. And, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I'm a late bloomer. And, um, so one thing led to another. I had a couple of people come and scout me from, from that gym. And lo and behold, I was able to get a couple of opportunities to play overseas. So um, 
I, I got a gig. It was a short stint. Uh, both of my gigs were short stints overseas, but I played in Qatar okay. first. And that was wild because, you know, I was sort of um, battling a shoulder injury that I, which was one of the first times that I had to learn how to kind of rehab, but I also learned what it's like to be on opiates or to be on, you know, like uh, painkillers. So and what, how that kind of we, we can go mm-hmm. down the opiate route in a second, but what kind of opiates are we talking about here? Was this like full on oxycontin or was it something else? Well, yeah, it, it was whatever I could get my hands on. Gotcha. But gotcha. you know, like to be honest with you, and and it, it I, I don't have an addictive personality at all, mm-hmm. but it was you know I I kind of struggled with wanting to get a true diagnosis because I didn't want that to keep me from getting onto a team. Mm-hmm. And, and I would have to kind of buddy-buddy up to the trainers or any of the, the people that could get me some painkillers. And I had to have that literally during practice. Sometimes we had two-a-day practices. And it got to the point where, I, you know, I'm a point guard, shooting guard. It got to the point where, and I've always been known as a good defender, um, I couldn't even swipe. I couldn't lift my arm to swipe at the ball mm-hmm. with my right arm. You know, and I had to do everything with my left. I would even have to catch passes with my left hand. And, you know, I was still able to do decent, but it's just kind of one of those stories where it just slowly but surely, I just never was playing at my tip top Mm -hmm. when I needed to. And so I ended up losing out to um, a very good point guard from China. Mm -hmm. Um, He was an American guy, but he was playing, he was a veteran that played in China. Um, But to kind of lose out to, somebody who had a family at the time and needed the gig more than I did. I was like, you know, it's all good. Um, so then I came back to New York. I was doing some more modeling and acting stuff. And then I got another gig with my buddy, Derek Lang. He uh, got me a gig in Mexico. Okay. And so I played in Mexico for a little bit. Um, and then that's kind of when I was like, you know what? I think I see the writing on the wall with this whole basketball thing. You know, it's all about who, you know, um, I was peaking in age, but wasn't necessarily peaking in talent, mm-hmm. so to speak, at least from the perspective of the teams. And so I just took the opportunity to like party my butt off because <laughs> I was in Cancun, you know, I was, oh, I was okay. playing. So you weren't even in Mexico City, it's Cancun. And so it was Cancun okay. <laughs> of all places. It was the, um, the uh, Los Pioneros. And, um, you know, and, and that's when I kind of picked up Spanish and, I was just looking towards other things. I had a I had a blast, but you know, uh, I had a short stint there as well, if you can mm-hmm. imagine. <laughs> so, uh, the Qatar and the Mexico experience. Prior to that, were you traveling much abroad, or were those sort of your first experiences abroad? That was basically my first experience. Okay. Yeah, I um, the my actual first experience traveling um, was to the Bahamas, mm-hmm. and this was when I was in college, and at that time, I had a broken wrist. Mm-hmm. So I was in Bahamas with our, our basketball team, the, the college basketball team at, at uh, Northwestern Oklahoma State, and I wasn't able to actually play. I mean, I was out there with a, with a, a cast on, you know, going through warm-ups and stuff. But, you know, my first time actually traveling and, and working was when I went to, I believe it was when I went to Qatar for that, for that gig. Wow. So, so out of the frying pan and quite literally into Doha. 
uh, which is, yep. you know, fire. Uh, very, yeah. <laughs> very interesting transition, so to speak, I can imagine. But uh, uh, all right. So where does the men's health and the, the movement come into play? Because you mentioned martial arts before, and I imagine that that played some sort of an interest in your your movement practice. But I guess first things first, what was the martial art of choice? So, um, you know, I, I, I always like to say I was born into the martial arts mm-hmm. realm, the Eastern philosophy. Um, and, you know, and the reason why I say born into it is because my, my mom and dad had a, a family business of, of martial arts. And mm-hmm. so my dad he sort of created his own style and which was a blend of styles that he, um, you know, interacted with throughout his journey. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's kind of a cool story because the way the, it's called American karate system. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is, you know, in the, in the beginner belts, you it's, it's mostly like Taekwondo yeah. because that's what my dad first learned. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of developed into Goju, Kenpo, uh, a little bit of jujitsu, and then even some African styles. And that all was kind of the journey that my dad took. And so he was like, okay, he, he felt that he learned a great deal of things from di- the different styles he didn't think that one style was the all knowing or the, you know, the greatest. He felt that a blend of styles was probably the best way for a person to, um, to, to learn and adapt to the martial arts. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of around the time. And in fact, a little bit before the uh, mixed martial arts scene Mm -hmm. or the UFC scene. And so I kind of thought that was interesting. It seemed like my dad kind of was ahead of the head of the times when he created his style and so for me, it was very normal to, you know, as a at four years old, five years old, six years old, going to karate tournaments and, um, and sitting there and with my dad and my brother and my mom, we'd sit there and we would analyze the, the competition. Mm-hmm. We would analyze who it is I was going to fight next. Mm-hmm. And we would go, oh, okay, that person is um, pre- predominantly uh, Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know how to defend against that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that person's mostly you know, fights in close. And so we know how to to defend against that. And so it was a really cool way for me to like build my brain Mm -hmm. and to build my, my, my culture, my background, there goes the light off. Um, (laughs) And, and so that was my start. That was my start. I was born into it. And so for me, it was just kind of like, it was, it was nature. It was like the back of my hand, you know? And this is in Oklahoma, right? Whereas it's not, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It's not traditionally what I would think of as a martial arts state. I grew up a little bit in Kansas, which was definitely not a. Yeah. So, I mean, is Oklahoma, I take it there is quite a bit of martial arts there if you were participating. Well, yeah, there is. Are, are you familiar with um, the company Century? Century, I think it's called Century Martial Arts. Are you familiar with that, country, that uh, company? I've heard of it, but it's been a while since I've delved into the martial arts realm. Yeah, it's it's uh, like one of the biggest um, martial arts manufacturers. Okay. So they make you know gloves and pads and you know all kinds of uh, geese and the whole nine. Um, that their headquarters was in Oklahoma City. Okay, so you could have just said like, "Hey, Boomer, no, <laughs> Oklahoma is a big a big <laughs> hub for martial arts." But I appreciate you uh, <laughs> you making me feel a little bit better. So all good. Let's uh, when we start to bring you a little bit along on your focus into movement. 
And my understanding is you had some experience with men's health. And did that play a role in your focus on movement or was it more your upbringing in the martial arts? Great question. And, and, you know, good job on you for having to try to tame this wild mind of, of mine that just kind of goes in these rabbit holes. Uh, Uh, I have, I've got a wild (laughs) mind too. So it's. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. um, The, the whole men's health thing was a culmination of all of my curiosities and uh, background experiences that led up to my being in, in New York city. Mm -hmm. And so Yes, you're right in that it probably started with martial arts. Um, You know, I, because of my dad's background, not only in the different martial arts, but also uh, with his style, he wanted to make sure that every person that was, was within his, his, uh, his karate class or his, his school, they knew anatomy, Mm -hmm. first aid. Um, we had to know very well how to defend ourselves, but also be able to take care of ourselves, um, in any situation. And so understanding the, the anatomy and first aid for like a, you know, a young kid preteens was, <laughs> was a big deal, yeah. you know, and, 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 and one might wonder, well, why would, why would that be such a big, important thing for, uh, to implement into a school? Well, you know, ultimately, the, the idea was my dad was a chief of police in, in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So the karate school was like a, you know, a side thing. Um, he was a chief of police. He was an EMT and um, he also was a storm chaser. <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> and he also was a massage therapist and a carpenter. So if you can imagine why I do all these things today, it's because, you know, I kind of emulated what my dad does mm-hmm. with, with his experience. But um, when I learned the skeleton and then, then the muscles and then the, the, all the different attachments and the organs and all these things at a young age, it was like a fascination beyond imagination. You know, it was, I would have dreams about what the skeleton does, you know? And, and so that's what created my fascination. But then after I got my black belt at, at the age of 12, it was my first sort of journey into other sports. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my dad was kind of like, look, you lived out our dream, my dream of, you know, both of my sons making it to black belt. Now go forth and, you know, do whatever sports you want to do. And so I, I jumped into basketball and baseball and track. And that's when I started to understand that, wait a minute, there's so many different ways to train the body. Mm-hmm. Because how I trained in martial arts was all about flexibility and speed. And, you know, I was so fascinated with Bruce Lee and yeah. all of that stuff. Right. But then basketball took me to the performance side of things Mm -hmm. and track took me to the performance side of things, the Western philosophies. Right. And, and then I, when I got to college, I was like, well, wait a minute, this trainer and this, you know, athletic director and this group of people, they are saying the opposite of what we were saying in martial arts. Mm -hmm. And then I also had a part-time job at GNC for like six years. Mm -hmm. So, then I started learning nutrition and supplements. And so all of this led up to my working on my body, working on my physique, working on my performance. And um, in order to kind of get out of Oklahoma and to try something different after I graduated, um, I reached out to a few magazines and Men's Health Magazine was one of the magazines. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, hey, you know, I got some photos here that I did in a photography class in college. Mm-hmm. Um, 
do you think I could maybe get in your magazine? And they're kind of like, well, this is not quite how it works exactly, but we like your enthusiasm and we like your hustle. If you ever come to New York, we'd love to meet with you. And um, here's some agencies we work with. And that's the route I went down. And that's what happened with that. So, <laughs> so New York was because of men's health. It wasn't because you really wanted to be in New York or was New York the end goal? Yeah, I would say um, men's health was one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, I guess the main reason was I, I wanted to find an outlet to get me out of Oklahoma, not because I didn't like Oklahoma, but I kind of felt like I peaked, you know, I kind of hit the ceiling of, of I don't, I don't want to say success because it wasn't really dependent upon success, but I, I guess the peak of challenge or the ceiling of challenge, I, I wanted to be challenged more. Yeah. And I knew that, that New York city and other big cities were, would be a challenge. And um, to be quite honest with you, I kind of thought like, I thought maybe it'd be cool at some point in the future to be able to tell my, my future child, um, you know, Hey, your dad was in a, a magazine and, you know, and I kind of thought that would be it, <laughs> whatever, you know, just to kind of try something different. And then, 15 years later, I'm still, still rock and rolling, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, let's talk about movement philosophy because this is, I want to get into sort of the journey about how you originally create, or you ended up with sort of your four pillars, if you will, because one of the things that I love about movement, but at the same time is very challenging for a lot of people is that there's so many different modalities that you can follow. And if you go into a bodybuilding magazine, sometimes that can be three hours of training, two times a day, that kind of stuff, eating six meals, whatever it is. If you go into powerlifting and following sort of a West side barbell modality, that can be very, very challenging to your nervous system. What are some of the things that you experimented with first along the way and kind of the bumps in the road? Um, <laughs> I think the easy answer is, is all of the above. Um, I think, um, before biohacker was a, a, a known term, mm -hmm. I was, I was hacking, you know, everything you could think of. And I think a lot of that came about because one uh, back to me, you know, earlier saying that I was a very curious person and I still am. Um, I, my curiosity is kind of what kept me busy, I guess. And, um, and for me, I was always trying to figure out ways to like, I don't know, just, just to be better at everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I felt like school was easy for me, um, to the point that like, you know, I was able to get an academic scholarship in college and things like that. And, you know, and obviously I understood, stood that that's one level of, of, of intelligence, but you know, the, the, I, I tried the the bodybuilding route. I tried the powerlifting route because that's what my, my brother did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you can imagine back in the, the early 2000s, um, there was a big trend of, of, of bodybuilding, at least in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And I would go to different uh, bodybuilding competitions. I never competed, but a lot of my friends did. And, and if you can imagine me working at GNC, all the, the meatheads that would come in, mm -hmm. um, and I would get so many different questions. And every time there's a question, it's an opportunity to educate. Yeah. Whether that I get the edu that I get the question or I give the question, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that almost 
happened daily when I was working at GNC, mm-hmm. right? So question would come in and somebody would ask for, hey, uh, you guys got any, I don't know, magnesium or, you know, what's the best protein? And, and again, at a young age, someone who's kind of learning how to navigate this whole world of things, I would go, I would answer the question. And, you know, if, if they had like a, a test for the, the employees at GNC, you could test to get like different levels and like, the, the more tests you took and, and you completed, the, the more commissions you can make yeah. based on your, your qualifications. And if you can imagine, I'm, I'm the one like after hours sitting at that little computer and, you know, my boss at the time would be like, Josh, you, you, you need to go home. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll lock up. Don't worry. And I would stay there for hours just trying to complete the test, you know, and there'd be times when, when the, uh, the computer would crash because this was back in the day before laptops and all that yeah. stuff, you know? And, um, but for me, it was, I wanted the knowledge. It was less about the pins I had on my shirt, even though my shirt was full of pins, but it was the knowledge of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've tried it all. Mm -hmm. I've tried the creatine routes. I've tried the, you know, the fasting routes. I've tried the vegetarian routes. I've tried the, you know, meat eater. I've tried it all. So, um, I think that's what has enabled me to figure out what works well for me. Mm but it's also helped me to figure out how to break down what works best for the people I work with. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that answers your question. Oh, but it does. There, there's a lot in there. Well, yeah. I wish everybody at GNC would have taken that time. Maybe, maybe the company <laughs> would still be around today, but um, uh, movement specifically was the reason mm-hmm. just a specific interest in it. Because if you think about kind of health as that sort of semi-complex system or, there, there are pr- plenty of levers that you can pull on. And it sounds like mm-hmm. you're building a copious amount of knowledge in various domains. Yeah. What made yeah. you say like, hey, this movement thing is where I want to focus my time? Yeah, good, good point. And, and that, that also helps to, to answer fully, I think, the, the, your previous question. Um, it, it started with tweaking myself mm-hmm. and and you know, early in my, my career, if you will, it was all about sports performance for basketball. Yep. That was what I cared about most. And so at a very young age, you know, I, I quickly realized that, you know, it, with martial arts, it was all about flexibility. So I was the guy doing the splits and for commercials. And my dad was like, Hey, you can watch TV if you are doing some kind of stretching in between, like during the commercials. Very good point. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that was a, uh, for me, that was like, this makes sense. I'm going to stretch so I can watch TV, yeah. you know? And then, okay. So th- that kind of served that role. And then, um, and then for basketball, it was like, okay, well, how do you play basketball better? So I would watch lots of videos and I would break down this and I'm like, okay, I need to practice if I want to be a better shooter, you know, and I can't necessarily be in the gym all day, every day, then how can I emulate that? How can I get the closest to that experience at home? So I was the guy that would like get a basketball and I would lay on the ground and I would just shoot. And I would imagine like I would literally shoot the flick the ball up in the air and try to get it to come right back down. Mm -hmm. And that was creating this, this motor skill mm-hmm. development, right? I didn't understand it as that then, but I understand it now. Mm-hmm. So I was creating this neural pathway um, and I was just like fine tuning those motor skills, right? Mm-hmm. And so, okay, if, I, if shooting 
if my shooting got better because I was doing that, then how can I jump higher? So then I had the, the, um, the strength shoes or the jump soles. I don't know if you recall the jump soles no, back in the day. No, but that sounds very interesting. You got to elaborate there. Yeah, it's, it, the jump soles are these, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> nowadays, but um, it's basically a, a, a platform that's about this thick that goes on the, on the, the ball of the foot. Mm-hmm. So you can put any shoe in it. And you, you know, you, you insert your shoe into this platform and then you Velcro it on and it connects to the back of the heel and it's kind of adjustable for any shoe and you could walk around in it. You can run in it. And I was the guy that was like, Hey, I see some, you know, in the magazines, you know, the East Bay magazine, I see everybody talking about how, you know, this was back when N1 was huge. And I saw some of the N1 guys who could jump really high. They were promoting it. And again, I didn't understand influencers back then. I didn't understand advertising, but I'm like, if that guy's doing it, I want to do it. Yeah, so, it's like Grant Hill when he was uh, pushing Sprite to people, right? And claiming you a got yeah, it. I remember those days. <laughs> exactly. So, so, you know, that was another opportunity for me to go, okay, practice this and that gets better. Okay, practice this and that gets better. And everything started clicking. Mm-hmm. So once I finished basketball, that was when I – I started to kind of realize that because while I was playing basketball, it didn't matter what my body looked like necessarily. It was just, could I function the way I wanted to function? Mm-hmm. And, but when I finished basketball, when I finished, um, I started to work on my aesthetic mm-hmm. and that's when I'm kind of like, Oh, okay. So if I can work abs, you know, I had all the apparatuses for, for abs, yeah. you know, the ab and, and then also throughout all of this, by the way, I discovered that I had, uh, have scoliosis. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I had to figure out like ways to like stretch and hang and breathe into the concave parts of my body. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it goes back to this, like with my own personal experiences, I'm able to figure out, okay, how do I fine tune my body and mind to become the best mm-hmm. that I could, you know. I also did not drink until I was 21 mm-hmm. because I was told that if you want to be a, a, a high-powered functioning uh, machine, then you got to treat it and put that kind of fuel into the machine. Well, that was my experience, you know. And so, and and I didn't do any kind of you know cannabis consumption or anything like that until well after um, college and things like that. So, I was kind of honed in. And then now taking a step back and kind of undoing all of that, I, I kind of see, wait a minute, there's so many different ways to, to tweak the body. And so movement wise, I've, I've understood that, you know, if I want to get stronger, then there's ways to go about doing that. And I found that body weight is the foundation, mm-hmm. putting, putting the feet in the, in the earth grounding is the foundation. Mm-hmm. I've always understood that, being barefoot was, was a part of me. I didn't know why Mm -hmm. then I know why now, you know, that, that gives me sort of my foundation. Mm -hmm. And so when you were talking about the pillars and stuff, um, you know, I, I feel like we all have to have a foundation and we build that foundation strong. And it's very cliche to say, you know, you build a house on a strong foundation, of course. Um, what is that foundation? Mm -hmm. And I, and I think of that foundation being awareness. Yeah. But then if we start from the ground up, that literally means to me starting working on your feet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can, can we go a little bit into that grounding aspect? Because we'll get into these four pillars, but how do you look at grounding in sort of everyday life and 
how people can practice it. Because yeah, from the biohacker world, there's a lot of people out there that are going and putting their feet in the grass, et cetera, et cetera. But how do you specifically work that in? And I know you have a bunch of time-constrained clients. How does that look for somebody who has no time and lives in Manhattan? Very good question. Um, you know, there, there's, I always like to break things down with like the low hanging fruit and the sort of um, non uh, cost prohibitive methods. Mm -hmm. And then I go into the very high, high, high end. And I like to draw the, the sort of the connection between the two. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to grounding, I, I really truly feel like we all have the capability of doing grounding, no matter what time constraints are perceived and um, no matter what industry we're in or whatever. I mean, it should be simple enough, should be, to go outside and put your feet in the earth mm -hmm. at some point, yeah. right? If you are in a situation that you feel like you cannot do that or it's not safe to do that, then you can go the route of what we do in the biohacking tech world, which would be to get like a grounding mat. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then you could even go as far as like connecting to, you know, holding on to the, the, the sink, you know, the faucet handles, or, you know, you can go that route, but I always think it's easier just to go outside and put your feet in the grass or in the sand, or, you know, just connect to some, some level of grounding. Mm -hmm. All modern homes have some level of grounding. Otherwise, I mean, that's like one of the first things you do when you start with the foundation and you make sure that the house is ready to, to be built mm -hmm. is you figure out the foundation and then you figure out how to ground it. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to run into a, a world of problems later. Yeah. Same with the body. Mm -hmm. If you don't figure out your foundation, you don't figure out how to ground it, right? Because we are electrical beings, mm -hmm. then you're going to be in a, in a world of problems at some point. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's kind of, kind of how I treat it. And you know, a lot of my high functioning clients, they do think I'm a bit, crazy but once they start to slowly understand what i mean by talking about our cells being capacitors and being like uh little 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 um phones or little uh batteries mm -hmm. each little cell the trillions of cells we have in our bodies if you treat those like batteries that need to be charged then that ends up being kind of an understandable way of of of, of getting it mm -hmm. right it's like all of us have phones or most of us have phones today. And what happens when that phone is about to die or any of our devices today are about to die, we have this idea of like, I got to charge it, right? Mm -hmm. We all need that charge because we have to be connected. Mm -hmm. Same happens with ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, so, so when I explain it that way, then it's like, okay, well then how do I do it? Yeah. Ah, remember anytime there's a question, there's an opportunity to educate yep. and go down that path. So Amazing. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we, we got started on grounding and part of the four pillars. Uh, I mm -hmm. cut you off because I wanted to go a little bit more deep on grounding. Uh, let's get back to those four pillars because I know grounding is one key aspect of it, and probably the foundational key. But if you're going to go from there, how do you progress? Okay. Well, so let me, let me, I'll back up and, and kind of um, break down the pillars because. Yeah my it, it, the, the pillars are actually updated mm -hmm. and uh oh, um, uh -oh. And I, we got a new I, I plan, one yeah i plan on uh putting out some more information via blogs and and eventually maybe a book and things like that but um it, it started out as four pillars mm -hmm. and the four pillars were um and, and i use the descriptive term quality to kind of qualify 
each of the pillars, right? So it started out as being quality sleep and recovery. Mm -hmm. Grounding would have been a part of that, mm -hmm. right? Because it helps to kind of normalize and uh, normalize the body and, and the cells and things like that. Um, so quality sleep and recovery was, was, I felt at the time when I created the pillars was probably one of the most important things. And the thing I talked about the most, and I treat, treated each pillar as like a triage effect and sort of like a prioritization. Right. And so the, the, the highest level would have been sleep and recovery. Mm -hmm. The next one would have been quality consumption. Mm -hmm. I also put, I feel like grounding can kind of go in there as well mm -hmm. because Consumption doesn't have to only mean what you eat and drink, but it's also the energy you consume, mm -hmm. right? Whether it be from the earth or whether it be from people. And again, that's very esoteric and can be, but if you go very like surface level, it's what you eat and drink. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so quality sleep and recovery, quality consumption. The next one would have been quality activeness, mm -hmm. which we, you know, we, we kind of, I think, falsely lump activeness and exercise together in the same thing, mm -hmm. but I separate those. And I feel like, you know, quality activeness is everything. That, again, this is kind of cliche, but just being as active as you can be. Mm -hmm. So instead of sitting all day long, you know, how about standing? And, and then, you know, it's almost the opposite of stillness. Yeah. Because I think, People, once they hear, oh, you shouldn't sit, so you should stand. Well, you can falsely or incorrectly stand and be still and have that be problematic as well, mm -hmm. right? So just being active was, was one of the things that I, I was highlighting in that quality activeness. And then, of course, you can be far more active longer throughout your day than you can ever exercise, mm -hmm. right? So you could, be, you could truly be active for six, seven, eight hours a day, but it would be very detrimental to your body and to your health and to your mind to be exercising for that amount of time. So the lowest end of the totem pole would have been quality exercise. Mm -hmm. And within the exercise component, because I am a fitness trainer, um, obviously I could help to, to come up with a whole load of things. But I almost put that off to the side because if you're doing steps one, two, three, well, mm -hmm. then the quality exercise becomes icing on the cake and becomes easy. Mm -hmm. So those were the four pillars until I started kind of diving more into the, the works of Dr. Joe Dispenza and <clears throat> started diving more into my own um, meditation practices. Okay. And, you know, I never really understood what meditation was until I started really like doing some neurofeedback and, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's, there's something missing to my pillars, right? Mm -hmm. Because I find myself doing much more conversations and talks about meditation and awareness. So I quickly put number one, quality awareness. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. So it, it, that, that was, that's a recent thing I would say within this last year. Mm -hmm. And so quality awareness to me is, you know, it, it almost doesn't even matter about quality sleep and recovery. If you're not aware that you need quality sleep and recovery, right? True. So awareness works its way down through all of those. And so if you're truly aware that you need help, mm -hmm. if you're truly aware that, you know, what, the reason why we're not feeling so great right now with this pandemic maybe is not because we're being told to wear a mask and this and that. Maybe it's because we don't have 
this human interaction that we actually need, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, and you can go you can go down the rabbit hole, of course, with with all of that. Yeah. But now the five pillars are quality awareness, mm-hmm. and then quality sleep and recovery, quality consumption, quality activeness, and quality exercise. All right, so I'm I'm gonna try and remember all of those as we go. But let's start with that new one because it's something that using a different, it's come to my own awareness recently, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. how important awareness is, how important just being present in this moment is, because if you're not present, like it's really the only thing that we have. When people are starting to come with to grips with things like anxiety, and you work with a lot of high performers, so there's a lot of goal setting, a lot of looking to the future. How do you bring them to a position where they, they realize that awareness is important. We'll get into the practical modalities of training it in a second, but how do you bring them to that position? Because I mean, I was once one of these stubborn goal-driven people that it's very hard to say like, Hey dude, just, just be here now. Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, and Throughout my extensive um, health coaching certification processes and whatnot, um, learning how to be a good health coach taught me how to ask important questions. Mm-hmm. And so that, that would be my answer to that question. Mm-hmm. It's I can only, and again, I, I'll probably say this so many times throughout this, this, uh, this interview, but um, it's all about asking good questions and then using these opportunities to educate, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can help a person, I can point out ways to be more aware by asking good questions. So for instance, you know, let's say, you know, you, you decide to work with, with Josh, mm-hmm. right? And chances are I'm going to come in and ask, you know, sit you down and let's, let's talk about, you know, first what I want to do is see the mood and the, 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 the sort of the aura of the person that's in front of mm-hmm. me. Right. And I, I'm going to sense right away, is this person overly anxious? Is this person stressed out? Is this person, you know, what is the style of this person? And that is going to be, that's that innate nature that I have of being a people person. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I can assess a person like this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and we could talk about this and in, in, in later on, but I think growing up, in a world where I was sort of, I was forced to kind of learn Eastern philosophies and chi energy and all these things, mm-hmm. but also growing up in a very racist um, community, um, being one of uh, the only black people in my town allowed me to be able to kind of dictate and read. So it was like my martial arts background allowed me to kind of assess a situation for like defending myself, right? Mm-hmm. You never know if you need to defend yourself. And you scan a room kind of like, I learned this from my dad's police um, law enforcement background, but also the martial arts background. But then also, hey, I realize I'm the only black person in here. Like, how do you adjust to that? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I know this is like, wait a minute, how, how is this answering the question? But it's using all of this to assess the person that's in front yeah. of me. So I have to be present mm-hmm. to, to ensure that the person in front of me is present. Mm-hmm. Right. And so once I asked the question of, hey, so why is it you want to lose weight? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've got a, um, you know, I, I've got a wedding. Well, okay, okay. So you got a wedding coming up. All right, great. So you, you want to fit in the dress or you want to fit in the tux. Mm-hmm. And okay, 
Um, but let's go beyond that. Like, wh why is it, you know, it, why do you, is it because you want to see the photos for the rest of your life that looks like that? You know, well, let's break that down. Mm -hmm. And then we, at some point, get back to the childhood. And at some point, we get back to the point of, of being bullied in school. And then we figure out that, like, wait a minute, um, you know, you, you're using this as a facade, as a, as a costume. And, you know, and I, I understand that you probably are afraid to be naked mm -hmm. in front of your spouse, the person you're about to spend the rest of your life with. Whoa, that becomes way more of a conversation than it, how many reps should I do? <laughs> yeah, that, that's almost getting into like, that's getting into a therapy discussion, right? <laughs> almost. Bingo, bingo, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you have the quintessential, in, in New York City, this happens all the time, at least from my experience of living there and working in the financial district. You have that hyper-anxious person that if you tell them that they're hyper-anxious, they're just going to say, well, that doesn't, you know, they're going to be a little bit perturbed by that. Is it just the delicacy in asking the question or are you kind of taking them on a leading journey into bringing them to that moment where they just sort of say, hey. All right, so Josh and I delve a little bit into blood flow restriction training. And if that hasn't come up in the episode, stay tuned. But my favorite device for blood flow restriction training is the Be Strong. You've heard Dr. James Stray Gunderson as well as Sten come on the show before, and I am obsessed with this device. Why? Well, it's portable. I throw it in my carry-on bag. Right now, I'm about ready to jump on a plane to Mallorca, and I know that I can get a good workout all week long because of these blood flow restriction bands. So it's convenient, and it's only 10, 20 minutes a day, and then I can get on with really epic hikes, free diving, etc., which is very important when you're visiting an island like Mallorca. If you want to get yours, head to bestrong.training. That's B as in the letter B, strong.training and use the code BOOMER and you're going to get yourself a nice 10% discount. Let's get back to the conversation with Josh Holland. Okay, good point. I, I like to, to, Listen, mm -hmm. I think that was one of the biggest skills I had to learn or I discovered was a big part of sitting with people of that nature. Mm -hmm. They sometimes just, just need someone just to listen. Yeah. When I sort of report back to them what I'm hearing, they're like, a lot of times they're like, no, 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 that's not what I said. And I go, oh, okay, well then help me to realize then what it is you're saying. Because a lot of times what they're conveying is not what they're truly meaning to convey. And so that's what draws that, that awareness component, mm -hmm. right? So let's say, well, you know, I, I, I feel like I need to work out at 6 a.m. because, you know, I have to work out before I, um, before I go to work because, you know, at work I'm busy. I don't usually have a lot of time. And even at lunch, I'm, I'm sitting here and doing that. And so to them, they're just breaking down their day. Yeah. To me, I'm hearing, whoa. <laughs> way too much stress on this individual. Yep. Why add more stress to that? Mm -hmm. Then I can go back once again to the pillar of awareness. So, Hey, let me, let me let you know what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you've got way too much going on to even focus on your health. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I told you I, I'm waking up at 6am to focus on my health. And I go, well, to me, that doesn't say you're focusing on your health. It tells me you're trying to squeeze in something that may make you feel good for a moment 
that's really not making you feel good after all. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, whoa, right? And, and, and don't get me wrong, like, it doesn't always work, right? I have to, I have to be willing to say, and thankfully, I'm, I'm doing well enough in my career that I can literally say, hey, look, I might not be the person for you, yeah. you know? Because if, if what you're telling me is that you're going you're gonna to wake up, wake up and work out every day at 6 a.m., whether, you, whether you're supposed to or not, then how can I truly help you? I mean, I can help make you aware, but, you know, I'd rather you work with someone else because that's not what I think is, is going to help either of us mm-hmm. in this situation because I don't want to wake up at 6 either, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, like, I mean, I've done that, right? But it's really about trying to create this back and forth where it doesn't poke them too much and send them off in the other direction, mm-hmm. but it, it gets them to engage. You want to, you want to let them know what you see. And it's almost like they call it mirroring, Yeah. but you know, it's, it's, I could draw the same conclusion and I could almost say the same thing for me and say, well, Hey, you know what? Um, I, I treat my sleep more, much more important than my exercise so unfortunately, 6 a.m. doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I won't be able to see you. Oh, well, okay. Well, then can you do after work? Unfortunately, training you after work doesn't work for me either because I try to be home since I wake up so early and since I go to bed so early and I have to eat and I want to eat three hours before bed, that means I wouldn't be able to train you at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., mm-hmm. right? So then it's like, wow, this dude takes his health and wellness so seriously, right? And- so then it's like, okay, maybe they go and they work with someone else and, you know, maybe a year or two down the line, they come back and, well, you know, I injured my shoulder, I injured my hip, you know, what was that thing you were telling me about last year? And then it's just, it's just this ongoing thing. And I think with social media, that helps because I'm able to put a lot of things out there knowing that people are watching, yeah. they may not be interacting and engaging, but they're definitely watching. And so all the time I'm getting, especially now during the pandemic, people are on online more. Right. And so I know that I have this platform and I continue to push it and I push that level. Mm -hmm. And because I know that it's, it's talking to somebody somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, let's go into something you just said, which was that you prioritize sleep almost more than your exercise. And is that a general rule of thumb for, for most people? And if, if so, what are sort of like the Josh Holland keys to getting a good night's sleep? Yes. Um, yes, yes. And yes, yes, yes. Uh, and yes. That's, that's always good. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, again, if you go back to the prioritization of the pillars, mm-hmm. sleep is way above exercise. Yep. So, and the reason for that is because if you're getting quality sleep and recovery, then I feel like you're setting yourself up for um, more of an ability to be active mm-hmm. and more of ability to actually exercise. And nowadays, now that we have things like the Aura Ring and, um, and different um, apps and, and tech, sleep tech, yeah. we can kind of show that, mm-hmm. right? Or it would be, well, I feel great. So I'm going to work out. Mm. <laughs> Do you really feel great though? You know, because... When I'm sitting across from you, I can see that you probably are a little too anxious and you might need to sleep a little bit more Mm -hmm. or it may not even be all about sleep. It might be just the recovery aspect. That's why I labeled it sleep and recovery. Um, So instead of coming for a workout today, let's actually put you in a new calm session. These are things that I do. Right. And so 
to answer your question about what is a good ways to ensure quality sleep, I definitely talk about um, the devices, right? And so like the blue white light spectrum and how that mimics the sun and how that could be harmful for you later in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the importance of having enough of it in the, in the earlier parts of the day so that we can reset and make sure we work within our circadian rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why at the beginning of this, uh, this episode, I had the red light on, um, you know, just to mimic the sun since I'm not outside right now, which would probably be a little bit loud if I was outside trying to do this interview with you. Yeah, but, in downtown um, LA, that's probably hard to do. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I feel like it's easy for me to start showing people that, okay, if we set yourself up with, okay, let's get good quality light mm-hmm. in the morning, mm-hmm. whether that be with the sunlight or that's with some of the, the you know, the red light, the photobiomodulation devices, um, and it doesn't have to be expensive, yeah. but let's set yourself up early in the day with that. Yep. Right. Then we start to slowly reduce that or change that to sort of mimic what it would be like if we were our ancestors, right. Where we didn't have a lot of artificial lights. What would that look like? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're a high performing person, you probably still need to use your phones and your computers, or at least think you do. So, okay, you can go the route with the glasses that block the blue light, um, or you can change all your devices, um, like the uh, Flux or the Flux. Um, you can you know, do the different settings on the iPhones and things of that nature, or you can go to the extreme and just completely shut off all, all devices. Novel concept. Right? Right. Which, you know, it's, it's, it's novel in that uh, it was all you could do back in the day. That's right? true. Until the I mean, advent of the BlackBerry, we really couldn't, there was not much that we could do. I mean, we had pagers, right. maybe, but that was about it. Right. Right. And, or, you know, a, um, TV, mm-hmm. but even that, you know, up to a certain point wasn't even possible. Right. So it was the radio. Um, but it's like, if you think about what it would be like to, to just put on some candles mm-hmm. and, 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 and have candlelight, like, I, I challenge anybody listening to this to to do a week of of only candle night a candle light once the sun goes down mm-hmm. and see what how you feel mm-hmm. and you know it's like if you feel yourself getting tired sooner then listen to your body yeah. again back to the awareness listen to your body take out all the noise right because that's what our epigenetic factors are giving us is all this noise. Yep in the, in the, in the, in terms of frequencies, right? Frequencies and vibrations. Cause even light is on a, a vibration and a frequency, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take away all of that noise, then what are you actually doing? And some people don't want to listen to that silence. Yeah. They don't they're terrified of to, silence, right? <laughs> oof. Yeah. And they're terrified of what they're, what they're actually saying to themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and again, that goes back to the deeper conversation of awareness. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll always come back to that, right? So when I talk to somebody, it's going to always come back to that. That's why I had to update those pillars mm-hmm. because it's like, well, look, wh- what's wrong with listening to what your mind is telling you? Why do you need to put the TV on? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to escape, that's fine. But how about escape by diving deeper into your mind? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's a novel concept but shouldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. that should be a norm for all of us. Like take a moment to meditate. And if you feel like you're going to sleep, you're starting to yawn, go to bed. Yeah. Well, but you know, I, I need to make sure and eat. 
Well, if you've got unwanted body fat on your body, then that's internal feeding. So you are truly eating. So just go to sleep. (laughs) But then I, I wake up and I feel hungry. Well, do you think our ancestors ever had to deal with that? Sure. That, that's fine. You can wake up and, but don't flip on the lights. You know, maybe you would have starlight or you'd have an ember light or put on a, put on a, um, you know, if you want to go fancy, you can get on a, like a true dark red light bulb mm-hmm. or you could, you know, actually put on another candle. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's like, there's ways to make all of this better. And so if you go to bed earlier and that forces you to wake up earlier, then what does that allow you to do? allows you to get more shit done, yeah, right? It allows you to get work done. And then that goes back to the, well, you know, I've got all these things to do and I've got to wake up and whatever. Well, okay, use that time to actually allow your body to wake up naturally. Then you're going to feel better about getting work done. You're going to be less, you're going to have less brain fog, mm-hmm. hopefully, right? You're going to make better decisions with how you eat. And then you're going to have better decisions in truly understanding when it's time for you to work out. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> I feel preachy right no, now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it. So let's go over onto that other aspect of this particular vertical, which is uh, recovery. And recovery is something that I've become fascinated with after blowing up my nervous system a few times, uh, doing various competitions and things. How do you look at recovery for, for clients? And do you, what are some of your favorite modalities for recovery? So, um, again, back to the, the low hanging fruit Mm -hmm. and sort of the, the easy to grasp verse, and then all the way up to the high end. Um, the easiest thing for me is, uh, as I would say, breathing, Mm -hmm. that's something that we can all focus on and do. And that's kind of what I have around my, my neck right now. One of the cool tools I'm playing with called the relaxator. Okay. I don't know if you, I I haven't played played with with that one. But you, you always feed me cool. cool tool ideas, so I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> Yeah, this one's fun. All it is is just a, a breathing tool to teach a person how to breathe slower. Yeah. Breathe slower and to breathe less. Mm-hmm. And it's by um, this group, Conscious Breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so br- breath work is, I think, one of the biggest tools that we have to truly optimize the human body. Mm-hmm. So... Breathing is probably one of the best things we can do for recovery mm-hmm. and, and just for optimizing everything. Then I would say um, uh, quality sleep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trying to figure out how to sleep, how to try to maximize your sleep. So getting the right supplements. If you don't sleep well, you figure out you don't sleep well. Um, and then the next thing I would say would be uh, cold showers. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I feel like cold showers is something we can all do. Yeah. Um, and we can do that every day. So that's pretty easy. So we can breathe. Right. And that's, that's relatively free. Yeah. If you (laughs) don't do it, you're in trouble. So, (laughs) right. Right. And then sleep, you know, maybe, okay, we can all do that. And some of us feel like we, we don't need to do that, but I I think that's very false and, and, uh, not cool. (laughs) Um, and then we all, I think shower every day, right? Most of us do. Most of us do. Right. So then, okay, how do you use that time to help your recovery? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like it's, it's interesting that, that people are afraid to take a cold shower. That does not make sense to mm-hmm. me. I, I do understand that it's getting out of the comfort zone, 
but I feel like we need to get out of the comfort zone more often than staying in the comfort zone all the time. Mm -hmm. Because getting out of the comfort zone, you know, we can label that as a hormetic effect or hormesis, but that's essentially what we're doing with exercise, right? You're dipping out of that comfort zone of, of just chilling and hanging out. But I feel like we can do that too much and it becomes problematic. Mm -hmm. So where do you find that balance? And you can find that balance by also getting out of the comfort zone with the temperature in your home, mm -hmm. the temperature of your shower, the, you know, dipping into, let's say, like whenever I say cold showers, people automatically go, oh, I couldn't do that. What do you mean you couldn't do that? If the power went out, like it just did in New York, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or all along the East Coast, the power goes out, hot water's not working. What are you going to do? You're either not going to shower or you're going to figure out a way to, to wash what yourself. What percentage of people you think went without a shower instead of, <laughs> instead of going for the cold? <laughs> I, I'm just kind of curious. I, I bet it's a fairly significant percentage. I would, I, would, I would think that it's probably a significant percent that went without. Yeah. And that's, it's unfortunate. Not because I feel like showers are what we need to do every day, right? Because that's also, you can go to the extreme there too, right? Washing off the beneficial bacteria in our skin, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and again, we can always go through down rabbit holes with conversations mm -hmm. together. So I think this is a, this is a fun one, but um, you know, it's like, okay, sure. Getting out of your comfort zone and not taking a shower. Could that be a thing? Sure. Mm -hmm. But are you hiding from having to take a cold shower and claiming that that's what you're doing is, is getting out of your comfort zone to kind of be smelly for a little bit? Come on, let's, let's just take a cold shower for, for a moment. Yeah. And then, Whenever everything is perfectly normal, taking a cold shower doesn't mean automatically putting it on cold and jumping in. You know, start with your comfort. That's okay. Yeah. You know, start with the warm shower or the hot shower, but finish with cold. Yep. And see, you know, go back to the awareness, right? Because it's always going back to the awareness. Be aware of what your body is doing the moment, not even when it goes cold, but the moment that you reach to turn it to cold. Mm -hmm. Think about what is happening in your body. Most of us, if they're not used to doing it, most of us are going to freak out, right? Like yeah. our nervous system is quickly going to sympathetic response. Mm -hmm. The moment we even reach for it, yep. <laughs> then the moment it goes cold, it's like the anticipation of it going cold is, is even more of a sympathetic response. Mm -hmm. That's fight or flight. Okay. But then there's this beautiful moment of being like, Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. I didn't get killed. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's cold. Of course it's cold, but I, I purposely made it cold. Right. And when you can settle in for about, you know, and it, sometimes it takes 10 seconds. Sometimes it takes 30 seconds. Um, sometimes it takes a long time for you to finally figure it out that, Hey, I'm not going to die if I do this. And it does get better to the point where, you know, I, I do this all the time, every single day. And here in LA, I have to say the the water doesn't get nearly as cold as it does in Europe. When, when I lived in Singapore, I couldn't get cold enough water. <laughs> it was just that, uh, right. yeah, right. But here, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting, you know. And it, and it's like I ask people to do that and let that become a part of their day, and I can tell if a person's truly doing it or not, you yeah. know. Because like um, when I was on tour with uh, Roger Waters of Pink Floyd. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that is a high functioning person that, that I, I love working with because he's someone that will literally take whatever it is I suggest and he'll run with it. Right. Nice. And <laughs> it'd be funny because 
I, when I would see him each day, I could tell if he was taking, if he was doing the cold showers or not based on even my experience, right? Like, let's say we'd be somewhere and um, I'm trying to think of places that were really, really cold. Um, anyway, when, when I was on tour, we were in Europe and there was a few places that was just like frigid, mm-hmm. right? When you would take a cold shower and I would, I would kind of just wait to see if he'd say anything and he'd be like, man, <laughs> this morning was cold or <laughs> last night was cold. And, I, and I'm like, oh, that's cool because I know he's doing it. And the amount of, of recovery you can gain from that helps with sore muscles, helps with joint pain. Um, but it also allows your body to deal with that hormetic effect, right? It allows your body to kind of warm you up. And if you can, you can do that before sleep, yep. you know, and, and, and that might help you to go to sleep better, faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that to wake you up like a shot of coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can do both. And, and so then you can also take it to the high extreme and do cryotherapy or ice tubs, you know, cold, cold tubs and things of that nature, which obviously I, I do and I enjoy, mm-hmm. but the low hanging fruit is just going to your shower. Amazing. So uh, when, it, when yeah. it comes to other, because recovery is getting a lot of attention from innovative and inventor type people. And a lot of people are focusing on the science behind it in this space. Do you have a favorite tool that you're playing around with now? You've mentioned one earlier, but any sort of favorite tools that you have noticed that are extremely successful among your clients for recovery? Um, to, to measure like the recovery? Not necessarily um, measurement, but uh, more of like an acceleration. So uh, like, for instance, I have sitting right here, the Apollo. Um, which could I, I've used to manipulate my state multiple. Ah, there he goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I stole Dasha's, and I told Dave Raven when I had him on the podcast that you know he's not getting that one back. But um, <laughs> uh, any particular ones that you enjoy, maybe other than the Apollo as well? Yeah, I, there's there's so many. Um, <sighs> I would probably have to say, and again, it goes back to like the low hanging fruit. Um, I feel like red lights, yeah. um, the photobiomodulation technology is probably ubiquitous mm-hmm. enough to where I could say, hey, just go and find some kind of red light. Yep. Um, for a while, I feel like Juve sort of had the, they had the, the game sort of cornered. Yeah. Uh, the market market cornered, but now there's so many. I mean, you, there's so many out there now. Um, so I feel like red lights are kind of the easiest for people to get into and wrap their heads around, mm-hmm. and and you can find it almost anywhere. Um, and then I do really enjoy the Apollo. I think the Apollo is is a very interesting tool that causes people to ask questions. Yeah. They always ask questions with it. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's a given. Um, let me think what else, uh, any kind of PMF technology. Mm -hmm. Again, it's, it's not, it it may be on the higher end because they can be a lot more expensive and there's so many out there. Um, but any kind of like, like flex pulse, for instance, Mm -hmm. is a, is a good one that I use and I travel with. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can go a little bit higher end with maybe like a beamer, or very high end with like a pulse yeah. centers PMF. Um, 
you know, it, again, it just depends. Do you, does a person, what, what are their resources like, right? Like if they have, you know, if money is no object, then okay, let's go to the highest end and let's set you up for the, for the, for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're having to kind of monitor your, your, your finances, then let's give you access to places that would kind of round out your week. Yeah. And so you could go to a center that has that or, um, you know, another one actually that is pretty, pretty easy to, to deal with is um, uh, molecular hydrogen. Yeah. So like, um, you know, having molecular hydrogen tablets does a lot for the body. Um, I'm also a huge fan of ozone. Sorry for the cliffhanger there, folks, but we cut it off at round one. Round two will be next week, and I look forward to hearing your feedback on that episode. If you enjoyed this episode, got something out of it, really started to look at movement in a new way, please share it on the Instagrams, the socials, wherever you are present. And let me know what you think. Send an email over to podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. I read all of them and love hearing from you all. The show notes for this one, again, are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash josh1. And thank you for listening.